Welcome back, everyone, to Red Spotlight Entertainment. I'm your host, Alexis Soto, and I'm joined by David Francisco. This is the podcast that brings you all of the latest coming out of the world of movies and more. And as a reminder, of course, throughout the last few weeks, we've had episodes devoted to reviews to some of the biggest sensations happening right now, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, with both David Francisco and with Peter Martinez. Uh, a bit of a programming note, of course, there may not, there most likely won't be an episode next week. Uh, I am going to embark on a seven-day cruise. And by the way, I'm not saying that to show off. <laughs> I'm just like kind of pissed off that the, the week that I am about to embark on my first cruise, there are so many shitty headlines involving people fucking dying at sea um, up the wazoo. If it's not the fucking, you know, five millionaire, billionaire people who just, you know, died in an explosion at a submarine, it's the two tragic refugee ferries that were overloaded and sank and no one cared. Even the media didn't care to give them. You probably don't even know that even happened, but the media didn't care to cover that. So there's that. Also, fucking orcas are just, like, waging a war on small boats off the Spanish coast. I don't know what to say. Um, my dad also watched Titanic last week, so I don't know. I'm getting really, like, just, like, a lot of bad vibes <laughs> going on all over the place. So, of course, this happens to me. So, if this is the last time you hear from me, hey, it's been real. <laughs> um, if if I don't come back, I don't know who even care to do this show anymore. But there's that. Um, so yeah, it's it's all of that has been happening, and because of that, um, there will likely not be a recording um, next week. Um, and, and keep in mind, of course, even though it is the summertime, it's it's still been incredibly busy for me. Like even though I have most of my time is off. The days that I don't have off are just really exhausting. I'm like last week I came back after a day with third graders at SeaWorld. Now this week's field trip was to a zoo and I hate zoos because they're so fucking boring and you're walking all the time and there's not really much to do, much to see. <sighs> okay, so it's it's <laughs> it's been a lot um, going on right now for for me. So um, and then at the same time, if you also heard last week's recording. I also want to apologize to you guys because I didn't even realize how bad I sounded. Um, I've been going through some allergy issues and I also turns out, and you know, I don't have any reason to hide this, but due to some kind of genetic mutation, um, my doctor found a polyp in my nostril um, and I had to take medication to shrink that down. Uh, the medication worked. I'm fine. I feel like I sound better now. I, I, I get these weird swings of congestion that come left and right. And so, um, again, I am sorry for the quality of my voice last week. I was just really shocked when I heard it back. I had no idea that's how bad it sounded. I'm like, fuck. And also I was tired. <laughs> that's not a good combination um, when, you know, that happens. So, well, you know, just wanted to put, the you know, all the cards out on the table for why things sounded the way that they did, why things are the way that they are, 
and um, how things are going to look like coming up. I know I have Peter for at least two months, and hopefully he should be making some more appearances um, as the weeks go by. I know in July, and I keep saying this, we have some pretty stacked releases as well in July. Of course, everybody is like you know excited for Barbie Sensation. <laughs> um, I guess we're going to have to go see Oppenheimer. I mean... Nolan is a great filmmaker, even though personally I think he is kind of a dick. And still, I mean, it came out recently in the news that um, in the time that – and we all remember this when he was trying to get people back in the theaters when there were no vaccines. Back in literally the summer of 2020 for his Tenet film, um, there were even representatives acting on his behalf at Warner Brothers lobbying the disgraced former governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, who by the way is disgraced for a number of reasons to look up any of his scandals. Um, mostly, I mean, he killed people, but of course he also had sexual assault allegations or sexual, uh, harassment allegations, whatever it was, there were people on behalf, working on, on behalf of Nolan and Warner brothers to lobby that disgraced former governor to convince him to open theaters in late summer 2020, which I have to remind people at that time, that would have been a suicide, um, run. To do that, I mean, in the sense that, well, you're you're signing up to get COVID, especially since there were no vaccines at that point. Remember, um, I didn't go back into a theater until, gee, I think it was May 2021. Hmm. It was May 2021, so that was still almost from what July when it came out, July 2020. To May 2021, that was still way in advance of mm-hmm. when anybody should have gone to a theater. Remember, that was a, there was a whole thing. Even Tom Cruise was getting on the propaganda. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but Tom Cruise likes to involve himself in some kind of like, you know, he sees himself as this guy that, you know, wants to promote the theater experience. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Of course, I mean, we, I, I do. But sometimes I think he maybe um, goes a bit too far, like in that whole tenant mania there was this highly publicized appearance when he was i think he was watching the movie with nolan and he had one of those like um filtered masks that everyone was saying was not good (laughs) for him to be wearing and then lest we forget um he's also one of the people who was you know gushing in the trades about how much he loved the flash Mm -hmm. movie (laughs) so it's like and Interestingly enough, lately, he seemingly um, was having a diva off with, of all people, Christopher Nolan, because he was completely caught by surprise that um, his upcoming film, Mission Impossible, I believe it's called Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is also one of the ones in July that we're looking forward to seeing how it's going to be. I mean, mm-hmm. the Mission Impossible films have all been good. Yeah. Especially that last one was really good. So we're all looking for, and the trailers have been amazing. Um, but <laughs> he was caught completely by surprise that somehow, and again, it's how, how do you, how does that happen? How are you Tom Cruise and that happens to you where, oh, he didn't realize that his movie would only get a single week with the premium screens. The premium screens are IMAX, Dolby Digital. And it's like, well, dude, that's how every film... I mean, it's not fair how one of the most visually um, impressive films ever across the Spider-Verse only had a single week of premium screens to itself, and then it lost them the following week to Transformers of all things. And not knocking Transformers, but like, 
kind of like, hey, <laughs> I'm sorry, but Transformers is not anywhere near as visually stunning as Across the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. But because we're in a summer box office where every single week there is a big tentpole opening and nothing else really. That's the difference is in years past, there would be Maybe there would be a blockbuster opening every freaking week, but there would also be some flavor. There'd be a, you know, a low budget drama or a period piece or a comedy. There'd be several comedies at one point or an animated film, something to, you know, draw other people's or other viewers' attention except just the big blockbuster. Um, so what I'm saying is Cruise was completely caught by surprise. And <laughs> basically the, I don't know how, you know, he's got some juice. Like he always has, you know, connections. Barbie ended up losing a lot of those screens. <laughs> so because of all of this like drama happening, right? And by the way, um, I think Barbie and Oppenheimer also happened to come out the week of Comic-Con. But maybe that's not even saying that much considering that we're not expecting a big Comic-Con this year. Yeah. Not that I ever put too much stock in it i've always said that um most of the headlines that come out of comic-con um in the end don't really amount you'll be lucky if they actually do amount to something for example who remembers comic-con 2019 when they brought out mahershala ali and announced him as blade by the way where's that now Mm. it's nowhere it has (laughs) It's literally dead in the water. So, and like you know, things don't come to fruition. Comic-Con is also the place where Ben Affleck lied to everybody, saying that he was still going to be playing Batman. And then what happens later that year? It turns out he's not playing Batman anymore. I mean, he ended up did, but not for the, not for the film that he was supposed to write and direct and star in. Mm. That was the different situation. Um, and even last year, I was that was my first in-person attendant. And, and the thing that I loved about it was how little I care for any of the news that was being made. I wasn't there for that. I was there to actually be on the convention floor. And by the way, if you like this kind of stuff to me, anyway, that's the main event. Not unless you're passionate about Marvel and DC, but let's be real here. How many people are really passionate about Marvel studios or DC these days? Um, The math doesn't seem to suggest that any longer. Mm. And if you also think back to last year, Look at all of those like announcements that were made on Marvel Studios slate. And think just now, just about a year later, there's a real possibility some of those are never going to be made. And if they are, do you even care? So again, Comic-Con has always been a conversation driver, to be fair, but I never really put too much stock in it. I think the most we get out of Comic-Con, at least from our podcast's point of view, are the trailers that drop. Um, and then we talk about them. And there have been, there've been some pretty good trailers. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, David. Now, this also suggests my point, which it doesn't amount to much of anything, but it was at Comic-Con. Dear God, I think it was it. I think it was Comic-Con 2015. It was a whole year before, right? Where they first dropped the teaser trailer for Suicide Squad, which included audio of Bohemian Rhapsody, correct? Uh, well, I think so. It was a whole year before. Because remember, the first Suicide Squad film was released theatrically in August 2016. Now, the first... it would 
That would only be a month before because Comic-Cons happen July. The first anything wouldn't happen a month before. Now, I'm, I'm sure what happened was July 2016 happened and they had a, a, a new trailer. But I want to say the first ever trailer for Suicide Squad happened at Comic-Con. And it made a big splash with, um, you know, especially with the brilliant song choice. But remember, again, that in and of itself is an infamous trailer because for however, it's one of the best trailers I think still I've ever seen. But again, remember, what came out later was that trailer was so disingenuous that later they had to, they had to bring in the people who cut that trailer to help cut the film because mm-hmm. it wasn't at all the same. Mm-hmm. So... Which that should only like um, people keep that in mind later on when we talk about the Flash and just like the the troubled history DC has had <laughs> this entire time. Um, so yeah, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, Barbie, Oppenheimer. I'm sure there are other films that are coming out in the summer. I mean, for one, I know one of the ones that I'm looking forward to, and this will be in August is the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. That one is looking really... Mm-hmm. And by the way, I, I'm i not a diehard, you know, TMNT fan. Like, I have to say, I avoided the Michael Bay film, films. I know people liked them and enjoyed them. I, I didn't really care for the um, the design of the creatures. So I just, like, I, I, I skipped those films. Even some of the animated stuff post-2007, I know they, there was, like, maybe one or two animated films... Not really. It didn't really grab my in, my interest. The only thing that ever really I would say made me like the franchise was the original, not the original, but it was the 2003 iteration of the series. Um, it ran for several seasons. Um, to me, that was that was the iteration that had the Shredder as an Utrom, I believe. That was an alien creature that was encased in like a cybernetic being. Hmm. Um, and this this is also an iteration of the series that went into the future. They had a whole season where they traveled to the future and then they came back. There was this like really um, uh, antagonistic FBI agent called Bishop that was always after them. Like, I don't know if you ever caught this this no. show, but it would be on Cartoon Network. It would be on Cartoon Network and Fox Kids. This is from two thousand three to two thousand seven. No, um, I caught that one. Interesting. Okay, that one I re- that was a you should watch that. Put write that down. I think you'd like that show is right up your alley. Mm. Um honestly, and to me that that was, you know, the era I was watching all those kind of animated shows, so. Mm. No, I mean, I I wasn't the biggest TMNT fan, so um and I'm just mostly excited about this one cuz of the animation and um the the voices caught me right away. Right. You know, just yeah. those kids I mean, they're kids, you know, yeah. they're not, everyone, someone said this, like, they don't, in the past uh, iterations, they've always just sounded like surfer bros, but mm-hmm. this one, though, is just like, no, these are just regular kids <laughs> wanting to have and, fun. And part of the reason why the trailer is so good is it gives you a nice sample of the sharp writing. Mm-hmm. Like, for one, it always gets me when one of the turtles says, uh, I don't know, like, you ratted them out, and then... um <laughs> Their their dad was like, don't use that word that way. Because he himself is a rat. Master Splinter, I believe. Yeah, it's the one that goes, hey, come on, man. It's 2023. And he's just like, oh, <laughs> And I, I love that. Um, so you're hit by radioactive goo. It's like, well, well, we say 
we prefer the word ooze, you know, it just sounds better. Ooze. <laughs> just, yes, just yes, the way yeah. he does the head The motion. delivery of that is great. So good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, uh, that one is definitely on my radar. Um, I feel like that that that's always a good time for that kind of animated film to come out. Remember, that was the same month last year where they had Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Um, which I happened to rewatch at home this past week, and the animation holds up. Um, even though I think it was experimental for them, that was the first time they ever delved into like three D um, animation for them. It, uh, you know, we'll see how where it goes. Mm-hmm. Another one, by the way, and the trailer came out this week. I know Alexis had to have been very excited for it because she was even messaging me before the trailer had come out. Um, The film is called Challengers. Um, It is... It it stars Zendaya. Um, It also stars uh, Josh O'Connor. And I believe it also stars Mike Feist. Um, and so, and it is directed by Luca Guadagnino, who honestly, um, mostly known for movies like Bones and All and Suspiria and mostly Call Me By Your Name, Mm -hmm. which was pretty terrific. Now, what I, the trailer kind of confused me to an extent because that was not the movie I thought um, I read originally. So I'm going to like read, there's already a description hilariously enough on Letterboxd, I'm going to read what this says, okay? But I feel like more, 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 I mean what did you get out of the trailer? Did you see the trailer? Um, I didn't, uh, oh, but no. I saw like images of it. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, I can't really say much though. Okay, um, here's the thing. Because when when the story first broke that Zendaya, Josh O'Connor, and Mike Feist, which we all know who those are, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, w- would be in a movie together. I believe it was in that first announcement that it was going to be sort of a love triangle kind of a situation. Um, but sort of, not really. Um, let me see what, what this says here. Tennis player turned coach, Tashi, has taken her husband, Art, and transformed him into a world-famous Grand Slam champion. To jolt him out of his recent losing streak, she makes him play a challenger event close to the lowest level of pro tournament where he finds himself standing across the net from his former best friend and Tashi's former boyfriend. Oh, so she dates both of these guys at different times, and these guys used to be best friends. Okay. We'll see. That mm. I, I don't know if that's the full extent of what's supposed to be in here. I know that there was supposed to be I know I don't know if, if if maybe people misconstrued it, 
But originally, there was supposed to be far more um, sparks happening in that um, than just a simple, oh, she was with this guy first, and then she ended up being with that guy, and now it's awkward. Mm. But it was a good trailer, though. Um, real interesting, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to get um, the Zendaya fans <laughs> in the theater. I think that comes out in September. Um that's when that one is coming out. So, do you have, by the way, any of the things that I just mentioned? Or maybe there's one, one that I haven't. But is there something that you're looking forward to the most? Um, Not the turtle movie. Uh, I mean, Barbie. <laughs> mainly. Yeah. yeah, just, yeah, mainly just Barbie. Um, I haven't seen a lot of movies from Greta Gorick. I think it's just Little Women. Did you ever see Lady Bird? Yes, I did see that one. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes. Lady Bird and, 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 and Little Woman are the ones that she directed. And I believe she also wrote the screenplay for 20th Century Women. She did not mm. direct it, but she, mm. I think, wrote the screenplay for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. But, uh, but I mean, as a filmmaker, though, she's I think she's fantastic. So I'm just excited what she's going to do with this. And I mean, there's like a lot of potential for this movie, mm-hmm. but I'm open for anything. So... Um, yeah, that's just, that's more exciting. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I can't believe I even forgot to mention this maybe because it it feels like so many people have already seen this movie, even though it hasn't opened yet, but there was one glaring omission, which was, um, Dial of Destiny, oh, the, yeah. the fifth Indiana Jones film. And I, I, you know, it's like, it almost even feels like it's an afterthought because like, well, I just said it, like so many people have already written reviews and it's not, you know, stirred up the most uh, or, or the best kind of excitement. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's kind of dampened things in, in particular with, you know, the things that are, mm, the things that are um, being criticized for it. Uh, I, I do want to, I don't know, David, how, how have you felt about it? I, I'm going to look up, I know Brendan Hodges, um, he's somebody who I quote a lot. He has a lot of brilliant tweets and i want to read what he wrote about his thoughts on the film which i thought were very balanced because usually um a negative review is a negative review but i think he really came from it from a place of love and had some great and not so great things to say but from what you've seen um are you nervous are you excited i i think you yourself or somebody that has liked these movies in the past? Uh, yeah, I've enjoyed them. I, I watched basically all three of them in one sitting. <laughs> mm. uh, and so, yeah, I guess you can say I'm kind of invested in it. But um, uh, overall, I'm still pretty excited about it. I'm just, I, I'm looking forward for like a good time, really, in the theater. I don't know. I don't know. The people like looking at this movie going... Uh, kind of want to talk shit, shit about it um, I just don't know what they kind of expect from it like I know the third one is like the perfect one for some of them and all that mm-hmm. but I mean when I rewatch some of them uh, I haven't rewatched the third but like I know rewatching those first two it was just kind of like this movie's okay like it's fun uh-huh. I just I don't you don't see what all the hubbub is about. I don't see all the hubbub is about, and all, and so when it goes goes when it goes towards this movie, it's like I don't really know what you guys are kind of looking forward to in this one, you know, or like not um, 
I don't know what you guys are expecting from this one. <laughs> How many times have you seen those movies? Um, two. Just one, one sitting or two times? Okay. Because mm-hmm. I, I would say that um, I would fe- I feel the same way about them. At least I did um, the first few times I saw them. But I feel like the more and more and more I see them, the more love I – it's not just respect for the filmmaking that's on display – but the more and more that I see them, the more and more I actually love them. Even though, I mean, they're they're not much more than just enjoyable films at the end of the day. You know? That's just kind of what they are. And so, like, I, I, I've never really – there's not anything too much deeper going on than what's on the surface. It's just that what's on the surface is so good. Um, yeah. It's quite interesting here. Um, this is what he wrote. Um, and again, Brendan Hodges is somebody who, um, longtime indie fan, longtime Spielberg fan, and a longtime film fan. I think he has a lot of, a lot of great takes on on uh, movies. I love what Dial of Destiny wants to be a rousing, um, elagic reflection of an aging pulp hero and a surprising caution to nostalgia. But man, Mangled's direction is the dullest, ugliest, least kinetic in series history. It's just a huge missed opportunity. The saving grace is how committed Ford is to playing Indiana Jones one last time. He brings a physicality to Indy that grounds the movie in something real, and even affecting as it judges ill-conceived action scenes and plot noise. By the way, that's that that seems to be a pattern. A lot of the people who are writing negative reviews in particular were not happy with the action scenes. Mm-hmm. Dull seems to be a word that's being thrown around a lot. This is Indiana Jones. Yeah. If your action scenes are dull, what do you have? Yeah. That's a problem. I loved him in this. I'm a James Mangold guy. He brings the thrilling tactility to his movies and plays with genre in smart ways. This is the worst directed action of his career, with none of the kinetic lucidity of Ford v. Ferrari. I was shocked at how awkwardly assembled, murky, and uninvolving it is. The Dial of Destiny is often an ugly movie. To recapture the look of Raiders, Mangled pumps a sickly yellow hue i hate when people do this in movies uh into all the whites of most images you know when they just put a yellow filter um on the screen Mm -hmm. like a, a yellow color correction basically yeah giving the movie what we think of the flat and dull digital look it looks putrid worsened by constant and badly implemented cgi gee Badly implemented CGI. Mm-hmm. Where have I seen that recently? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, man. And yet, what I adore about The Dial of Destiny reveals itself to be about its brazen and moving, a fitting end of the character that nearly, but not quite, absolves its sins. It's a weird movie, sad, messy, dull, but sometimes a brilliant movie. And I can't wait for most people to see it. I'll end here since I'm writing it on closer release, but The Dollar Destiny is a fun litmus test. Some say it's safe, while others 
while to others, it's weird as hell. Somehow it's both. Many will land somewhere different on it. And talking about that kind of movie is often the most fun. So, it, like, it's like we've been saying the last few weeks. It's anybody's guess how we're going to feel about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to have to wait and see for ourselves. And I'm not going to get a chance to see it until, I mean, I'm not going to be here next week. So, the following week, most likely. Uh, so, I guess I'll, you, you guys will or won't <laughs> see it or share um, your responses to it. Anyway, uh, let's get into some of the films that we've been seeing. David, I had the chance to see a movie um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, with Peter. We went to go see a comedy in a theater for the first time in like such, I don't know, it's been years. I I mean, maybe it's just, I mean, to me anyway, I saw, I think the last comedy I saw in the theater was Bros last year. Um, And maybe that was the only one. Um. So they don't really come out on, you know, on the big screen anymore because people, similarly similarly to what's happening with, like, you know, Disney animation, people don't seem to think that it's worth going to the theater anymore Mm -hmm. because of how much of that flavor they have at streaming. Like comedies, for example. Um, But the, yes. I was just going to say, I mean, it's just, it's a more bigger risk to go into a movie that's specifically comedy. Uh, uh-huh. when it comes to theaters and it's always just so weird and that's a, I think it's better to watch it at home mainly because I feel like it's weird when you go into a comedy and it's quiet <laughs> you know like, yeah it's just the worst so I mean for a comedy movie you kind of have to like either hope there's some raving reviews or something or I don't know also a lot of the comedies a lot people still see comedies in in, in theaters but like that whole genre has kind of been melded into the comic book genre. A lot of comic book films have comedy in them. Mm-hmm. And I think people get their fix there mm-hmm. instead of just like traditional comedies. But you are right. Sometimes it can't be quiet. And it, it was a little quiet when I saw it, but there were also people who were laughing, mm-hmm. uh, which also, you know, enhanced the experience for sure. So on um, this one is called No Hard Feelings. It is directed by Gene uh, Stubnitsky. By the way, and I didn't even know this, but no wonder I liked it a lot. Spoiler, I guess. But um, Gene, this is his second film. And his first film was one of the most underrated movies of the year 2019. And probably one of the more underrated comedies of the last 10 years. Good Boys. Mm. Good Boys. If you remember that film, I think you saw it, right? Yeah. Um, With Jacob Tremblay. Um, and that one was about a group of young boys on the cusp of becoming teenagers embarking on an epic quest to fix their broken drone before their parents get home. That's a really enjoyable movie. And I think one of my favorite comedies because that was actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. And so his second film here is No Hard Feelings. And this is a different flavor of sorts. And I want to say that before I even get into like the subject matter of what this is. Um, what I was most taken with this film, and sometimes maybe one of the reasons for why comedies in general kind of have flamed out at the box office in terms of how much, you know, how many options there are or lack thereof these days, is because there would be a lot of comedies that would um, 
be really overtly mean-spirited and then would force themselves to be at the last minute kind of like hokey and sincere when that really wasn't what was happening at all in the film prior. And it kind of just makes the whole thing fall apart. There are a lot of films out there that may be humorous, that may be enjoyable, and they may even be entertaining. But I think that was a kind of a formula that kind of got overplayed because by the point by the point you get to the last few minutes and only then are they trying to do like emotional scenes or something sincere it doesn't work mm-hmm. um and what i appreciated here was it didn't really have anything mean spirited at all um it was hilarious um it was definitely raunchy it earned its r rating for sure but it never felt disingenuous. It it also never felt like it was making fun of anybody um, on a person. Well, on too deeply a personal level. I mean, it was you have these two characters, and they do have things in common in that they both need to grow up in different ways, and they kind of use each other in the form of relationship, a friendship, really, to kind of move on with their lives. Um, on the surface, it may seem like it's making fun of them, but it really isn't. And I find that a rather refreshing take on it, where um, it's using um, heart, really, to get some humor out of it. Mm. Um, that being said, comedy lives and dies by how funny or not it is. Mm-hmm. And, and comedies oftentimes can be hard to really gauge because everybody has a different taste in comedy. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, it works for you and sometimes it doesn't. And it doesn't really come down to a matter of quality. It just depends on a matter of preference. If that is the flavor of comedy that you like, and it may be with this one, it's not. But at least for me anyway, this definitely um, was the kind of feel-good, genuine comedy. I would like put this, I think it's a good companion piece with a different comedy um, that has not necessarily a similar subject material, but kind of like on the periphery. It's also kind of sex-oriented. One that I was like trying to get people to watch last year, but nobody listened to me with Emma Thompson last year, which um, uh, was called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. It's, by the way, streaming on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, go ahead and check that one out. Um but I, I would say that the film was largely successful, you know, beyond the humor. The humor is one thing. And it definitely delivered there. Maybe there could have been a few more laughs here or there. But I think it was largely successful because you do end up liking your two characters as characters. Because there's actual they're actual characters and they grow. And there's that attention to detail and that, you know, for a studio comedy, especially from the likes of Sony, mind you, it's not something that, I mean, we're used to even seeing here. So, this film. Um, this, by the way, also features the return of Jennifer Lawrence. This is her first big film in a long time. Mm-hmm. It also happens to be her first mainstream comedy. And among the many things you can say about this film that are good... Um, her, her 
her whole thing in this is just kind of a revelation because, I mean, she obviously – she's an Academy Award-winning actress. She can do the big guns, as, as they say. But it takes a special kind of talent to be able to do drama and comedy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can't do comedy, period. But to do both, that's a special tack to have. And I think what you see here, um, if she just wanted to do stuff like this for the rest of her career, she would be very successful. Mm -hmm. And it makes you realize that maybe she should have leaned into this a lot sooner because it's not just that she can deliver the lines. It's not just that she, you know, delves into this character. And of course, I mean, she can go into any character. But there also happens to be, and this is even harder, there is a physicality that she brings into it that makes the delivery feel completely grounded and real. You know, it's hard to be funny, and it's even harder to have uh, a subgenre called physical comedy when you're actually using your whole body to, you know, deliver the punchline more so than just the line of paper on the dialogue, you know? Um, one of the, the best, you know, think about some of the best comedians out there that are good. Like I, th- I think of a Zoe Deschanel on her show, um, where she definitely was great with the physical comedy. You go back all the way back to the beginning of television, which was, um, Lucille Ball. Mm-hmm. And you watch those, those, um, reruns and you see how, how still so many decades later that humor still thrives. It still hits. And what you see with Jennifer Lawrence here is um, a performance you want to keep coming back to. And she may, in fact, do more of this. So the film stars her and then her co-star, who is much younger, uh, but that's the thing, is Andrew Barth Feldman. And I did know of him before, but not too much so. Andrew Barth Feldman um, mostly I would say is known for his work in the theater, uh, as in Broadway. I do want to say, um, he played Dear Evan Hansen, um, after Ben Platt. Um, and he also has, um, music. He's also a musician, obviously, duh. And you can download his stuff on there. Um, and then as far as like, I'm looking at his film credits. He doesn't really, doesn't really much of anything. So this is his first big role where he's basically co-headlining a film. Um, and of all things, you get to star opposite Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> and I did want to say I read somewhere that um, he really wasn't going to do this film. In fact, he even delayed starting college because he wanted to be in a movie with Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> I would say that's the right call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's not even – I mean, maybe to him he was thinking it roll through, but it's like, come on, man. That's not, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Like, you, you, you got to do it, especially since he himself is equally as good as she is. Like, what's kind of crazy is – and it's kind of built into the – the dynamic of what this relationship is supposed to be and what this movie is supposed to be. But you have here a 32 year old who not getting anywhere in her life. Um, and she's more than happy to just, you know, stay in that comfort zone, um, you know, work, medial jobs, sleep around. 
And then you also have this 19-year-old who's about to go to college who never really had the opportunity to, you know, overcome his confidence issues and kind of like put himself out there. And so the whole premise here is that the parents kind of get involved and they link those two up together. You can you can you can use the expression they hoe him out or if she hoes herself out. I mean, I think both of those are fair ways to put it and I think they're both equally true. But the point is she basically is contracted to form a friendship relationship with him to prepare him for you know, college. Um, the synopsis that we have here is not a love story. <laughs> not a love story. Um, on the brink of losing her childhood home, Maddie, that's Jennifer Lawrence, discovers an intriguing job listing. Wealthy helicopter parents looking for someone to date their introverted 19-year-old son, Percy. I love that his name is Percy. I mean, who's called that? By? <laughs> but okay, it really fits because he's a rich kid. Um, before he leaves for college. To her surprise, Maddie soon discovers the awkward Percy is no sure thing. So it's an interesting premise. I mean, I was like immediately grabbed by the trailers. And I mean, I would not say this is like laugh out loud funny. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even say this is must see, but... If you're somebody who cares about different kinds of movies being available theatrically, and if you're somebody that wants to see more comedies in theaters, this is your opportunity to show literally any studio that there's an appetite for that. Mm -hmm. You know, that there's interest in it. Yeah. And um, I mean, a movie, I mean, I know we're, it's supposed to be com you know, a comedy movie supposed to make you laugh and everything, but it doesn't necessarily have to all the time you know i i mentioned this uh -huh. before dolomite uh dolomite is my name i think that's what's called yes uh, eddie murphy i didn't laugh once in that movie um you know i just not a I, single time not as no i'm serious i not a single time i didn't laugh. not even when they're like making love on the bed and like it's supposed to be like a funny like a real thing for the movie when they're filming and, and it's like there's an earthquake happening and the whole room is falling apart and, and it cuts to wesley snipes and he's like i don't know what that is but but that was fucking funny, and everybody laughs. Even that, you didn't laugh at. I mean, I, I smiled at it. I'm like, okay, oh I get what my you're god. Doing. Okay. <laughs> but like, that's still a fantastic movie, though. Like, the premise of it is just you know a bunch of people wanting to make a movie because they don't see themselves in movies rarely, mm -hmm. you know. And they just kind of went, let's go for it, you know. And they had a good time, and the main guy he got what he wanted. He he got, you know people to come together basically you know and see themselves mm -hmm. and and really inspire inspire others you know like that's it was it's a great premise and like i say you, you don't really have to laugh i'm also weird when it comes to comedies i i really laugh uh the first time i watch something i just kind of like i think i'm always just looking for a good story <laughs> when it comes to those and then when i rewatch it i'll go oh why didn't i laugh at this the first time like i start laughing a bit more just kind of like interesting you know i don't know i don't know what it is with me but like still either way uh you know dolomite is my name um great movie uh maybe you'll laugh at it maybe you won't but you'll have a good time <laughs> so 
I'm sure the same thing will be with this uh, one. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, and there was actual, I mean, what was, what was really interesting about this, David, is like, think about this. So the characters, she's 32, he's 19. Of course, there are many moments in the movie where like a lot of attention is brought to their age difference. Mm. There's even this sequence where they're at a college party. And oh my God, I even, I don't know if I got like secondhand embarrassment out of it, but, or I got secondhand pissed off, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, 32 is not old. (laughs) Jennifer Lawrence looks incredible. Yeah. And yet when she walks into that college party, she's like met with a barrage of like insults left and right by every single college kid that's there like there was even at one point you hear in the background is that somebody's mom (laughs) i know right and i was i literally wanted to punch one of the kids because like dude sit down (laughs) he was saying that she's somebody's mom and then the 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 little digs here they're like ma'am or aren't you a little old to be here and then there's even there's a hilarious moment where these two guys, I don't know if they're coming onto her or they're or they're just like making fun of her because she's she's dirty too or something. Uh, and then she basically tells them like to fuck off, but like you know, you know, like a, I think one of the common jokes were you know our comebacks, like how about you two fuck each other? And then their response was to put like their camera phones on her and accuse her of being homophobic. <laughs> and then it just, I know, I know. And I was like, Jesus, that generation is so fucked. If that's how they react to everything, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, here's how I'm going to destroy your life now by just taking it completely out of context, even though that's not at all what she meant. Like, not even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, mm. uh, that was so, it, 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 Honestly, it enraged me mm-hmm. to to even see those kind of comments. But you know what? What's also interesting is, again, keep in mind the substantial age difference between the two. Um, maybe not in years, but definitely in lived and experience. There's a scene in a restaurant. And by the way, this guy is so sheltered. Of course, he becomes smitten for her and he, he wants to start like doing things and being in a relationship with her. There's a scene in a restaurant where they're going on their like quote unquote prom. And um, of course, Andrew, the actor who plays Percy is a musician. He sings a song to her. And it kind of reminded me of um, one of my favorite scenes from as good as it gets. Um, That happened to star Helen Hunt and Jack Nicholson. Um, where there was also a substantial age difference there. And, and I think that was kind of like a Beauty and the Beast kind of a take on, on that rom-com, basically, where um, this older jackass, basically Nicholson, um, um, was doing his damnness to appeal to a younger woman, Helen Hunt. And there's this scene in a restaurant where uh, I think I, uh, for the, I remember seeing this film for the first time in Mr. Bishop's class in high school. He would show some movies sometimes. He was a history teacher. And I know there was a piano playing in the background. And he was like fumbling left and right, trying to really like express what he wanted to say. 
But when he came to it, he was like, you make me want to be a better man. And then it's just like silence and the music swells up. And that's that's exactly what these kind of movies are supposed to make you feel. And then in this sequence, he sings a song for her. And damn it, the, the, the interesting thing about this film is, for me anyway, like, damn, I shipped them both as friends and in a relationship, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, and that's also kind of um, an interesting place it puts you in because, like, well, man, maybe these two would be good together. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're both consenting adults. Mm -hmm. Um, There really isn't any problem with it except for, like, society really, like, looks down on it. But um, it also isn't, you know, for a lot of reasons – what would be for the best for both of them? Um, so, honestly, it was hilarious. It was also really heartwarming, too. And I think those, to me anyway, those have always been my favorite kind of comedies. Mm-hmm. So, if you have the opportunity to check, then you don't have to go to, I mean, I, I, here I am saying that you should go to a theater and see it. Maybe if you have, like, a day here and there to kill and you want to see something, Go ahead and do it. But if you prefer to see it at home, then see it at home. But it, it's, pay for it's it. good. <laughs> yeah, pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> that That's what I should say. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's how I feel personally about it. And I um, hope anybody who was listening would um, take it upon themselves to at least search it out and see how they would feel as well. Anyway, with that out of the way with... Um, David, I believe you also had a film that you saw uh, in theaters of the Transformers variety. If I'm not mistaken, this is also – this is two things. It is a prequel to the Michael Bay stuff. This film takes place in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And it also happens to be a sequel to the previous Transformers movie, Bumblebee, which starred Haley Steinfeld and John Cena. By the way, to me – that was the only one that I actually really liked. Mm. Uh, Bumblebee from a few years ago. Because um, because it was just an 80s movie. It was an yeah. 80s summer movie with Transformers in it. That it and it has Haley Steinfeld. She's great. Mm-hmm. John Cena was actually pretty good too. So it's like, I really enjoyed um, the Bumblebee film. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, I just... All the trailers for this one, the new, I guess, Rise of the Beasts or whatever. I, I don't know. I feel like every Transformers trailer that has ever been made is the same. Mm-hmm. It always has like "Let them come" or "Kill them all." And it's like oh, okay. Um, yeah, this is. I, I, I mean, what like what was working against it is like the the premise of like the beasts coming in because um, which one was it? I think Transform was it Age of Extinction or something like that. Uh, the, which are you talking about? Uh, that's the fourth movie. Uh, yeah, I think so. The one with the dinosaurs, basically. <laughs> uh, uh, wasn't the fifth one the one with dinosaurs? No, I think that's the Fallen Knight or something. The la- okay, it was the last. I don't even know how I know these freaking titles. I've never even seen these. <laughs> yeah, I know it's the last night, and then there was Age of Extinction. Yeah, Age- I didn't even see four. Mm-hmm. Like- Age of Extinction is the one with the dinosaurs, and like people were kind of like, "Oh my god, they're bringing in these uh, th- these Transformers," and, and like people were. Well, so when ex- they called Dinobots, Dinobots, they were called? yeah, something like that. I I'm not a big fan of Transformers. <laughs> I don't know all the lore and everything. Um, 
<laughs> similarly, similarly to the TMNT stuff, the only time I ever really got into that franchise would be, go figure, the 2003 animated series. Um, that was on Cartoon Network. That was the only time I ever got into that. And then, of course, I think I, I did see the 2007 Michael Bay movie. That one everybody enjoys. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, yeah. then they kind of fall off a cliff. I still prefer the first one, um, the first Transformers movie out of all of them. I haven't seen that one in a long time. I think it's worth watching, rewatching. Um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy Shia LaBeouf. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think he's a good actor. Yeah, he is a good um, actor. Um, I'm sure that you'll see all the like the Michael Bay things if that like it gets kind of annoying after a while, but um you know not anywhere near that the sequels, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh it's still it's really, really good. Uh the action I think is like still my my favorites and all that on that one. Um but uh yeah, with well with um Rise of the Beast, like what wasn't working for it is like the promise of the beast coming in and in uh, Age of Extinction, you know, they had the Dinobots coming in and all that but that was like in the last 10 minutes of the movie and they just kind of like they were there they charged in attacked and then that's it you know it's just short-lived and everyone got really disappointed by it and all that and so people thought well, this was going to happen again um just the they weren't really going to come much and they didn't <laughs> in this movie i just say that like they didn't really come do much in this movie the beast but it was still really cool it was way better than what they did with age of extinction um I have seen all the Transformers movies, sadly. <laughs> That's a lot of them. That's a lot of them, I know. That's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I don't... I mean, I've seen the first three Michael Bay ones, and I also saw Bumblebee, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have the patience for any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, So, that part of it was cool. So, overall, did you enjoy yourself with this one? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I think this was really fun. Um the oh what's his name the main guy just, optimus prime no 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 uh, anthony ramos the human of uh, oh yeah the, the, the okay the human uh i forgot he was even in that movie yeah him, he was and- he was really fine i found him really hilarious and i liked his chemistry with his transformers uh mirage which did you know the cast for who were playing the transformers no so ron perlman was optimus primal <laughs> the gorilla one michelle oh. yo was the bird <laughs> peter dinklage was the villain scourge what the fuck pete davidson was mirage <laughs> i didn't even know this but like he was really good pete davidson was like hilarious in this movie by the way like i don't understand the hate that he gets uh online uh-huh. but like i think he's really funny and uh, he, was, he was really good in this movie I don't, I don't, I don't hate the guy. I, I, I do feel to an extent he's a bit overexposed. It almost feels like he's like in a lot of things at the same time, but it's funny. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he's in this. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And then Liza Koshi as uh, she's another Transformer. I can't remember her name, but she's like the only like female uh Transformer, not the, not a Beast Transformer, like a. Part of Optimus Prime's team. <laughs> oh, there's only one female Transformer? Yeah. No, no wonder nobody is accusing this one of being woke. Mm. There's, dude, they they still are. They still are. Are you somehow. what? <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just. What? But they still accusing, and I don't know how. Like. <laughs> 
I I shouldn't be surprised. I don't yeah. even know why I'm giving the reaction, but it's like, but no, there's still nothing there. Just uh, they're literally trying to look for it now. They even tried doing that with Spider Verse. I mean, to be fair, it is woke. Spider Verse, Spider Verse, yeah. But like, just the way their conversations go, where it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, yeah, and then there was some, yeah, the woke stuff. Like they just kind of like thinking about it like was this mm-hmm. woke or not but it's just it's super annoying now yeah anyway. I mean, it is i mean it, not, not that, it's well, always it been even anything bad yeah yeah uh, it's never anything bad and never will be anything bad people who think who complain about it are just the worst mm-hmm. for the record yeah um where was i going with this oh well, yeah anyway that yeah that was that was just that was the cast and i was very surprised by that <laughs> it was funny um but yeah it just it's all it, it was really good fun i like the chemistry within them uh I like that there was a bit more story, uh, background mm-hmm. story, uh, with Optimus. Um, I thought I feel like we've ever gotten in the Michael Bay ones and all that. And I mean, if you like big robot fights and all that, you get one at the very end. And it's just, it's all good fun, <laughs> really. Um, now, how would you say now? This is a bit of a loaded question, considering that we're living in a time when so many blockbuster films are producing less than adequate, um, you know, visual effects heavy shots. Mm. Uh, how would you um, speak to the quality of visual effects in this movie? Um, so I think that with when it comes to visual effects, I'm not as harsh with that as others are. Um, mm. to me, like if the visual effects, like on a character, if I can see details on them, like from the tiniest, um, uh, movement in like their faces and all that, like, let's say just, you see this. So like with the beasts, there's hair on them you know and like if i can like notice the little strands and the movements seem right to me that's just good cgi and like and then i get when people when people find it bad it's because like it's just not really blending well with like when they're standing next to a real person or it's not blending well with the background to me that just that's doesn't really bother me as much i just want like details within the character you know mm-hmm. um quantumania is like one that i find uh bad <laughs> i mean i mean it's just bad all around you can't really get around. away with it um they for one thing they used the they used the darkness way too much to try to rely on good cgi it doesn't work um and then when it comes to like what was it like those gooey characters or those morphed characters and all that just making like things look weird I, mm-hmm. I say that's bad just because you're doing it on purpose so that we can, um, what did I say? Like, kind of, what's the word? Fuck. They just well, we know we know that generally speaking. Now I don't know if you're going to go with this. Maybe this will give you some time to think about it. But generally speaking, the reason for why you see in a lot of these blockbuster films, um, visual effect heavy shots that are completely shrouded in darkness and absent of any kind of, you know, coloration at all is because they're easier, they're faster, and they're cheaper to produce than visual effects shots that 
have any kind of lighting to them. So, mm. for example, with that one that you were just mentioning with Quantum Mania, part of the reason for why, from a design standpoint, they made the Quantum Realm look like ugly diarrhea was because it was easier to produce those shots than something that looked good. Mm -hmm. And you see that kind of um, that kind of mentality be um, just be executed again and again and again throughout the various franchises um, that are happening right now. Mm -hmm. um, I think what I was trying to say is like they make stuff look weird, gooey, and just kind of like kind of crazy world that they try to make so we can suspend our disbelief and just kind of mm -hmm. like go with it you know that's part of the reason why they did it and so that's why i kind of find it bad is because it's less imagination on their part whereas with trans with rise of the beast they really try to focus on the details of the characters and all that and like try to like even like the way they transform from robot to um automobiles and all that to me that's just perfectly fine the only there's only one moment where I was like, oh, that okay, yeah, that's bad. It's but it's only because it's like on a, on an actual person. And so you'll I mean, if you watch the movie, you'll know which part I'm talking about. But overall, though, I found this uh, CGI to be really good. And at the very least, it wasn't like <laughs> in, I can tell where each character is at. I can see what's going on within the scene and all that and what they're all doing. <laughs> you know, one bad thing. That's and, good. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I, you. That sounds like that's like the bottom of the barrel of expectations, but believe you me, there have been plenty of movies you've seen lately that can't even get that. Mm -hmm. So if they get that, you know, across, you know, in in a competent way, unfortunately, that's the best you can ask for these days. Yeah. That's a very good point you bring up. Mm -hmm. Also to mention that this is directed by, um, I don't know how to say his his middle name, Stephen Capable, Stephen Calpel Jr., um, this is the same guy that directed Creed 2. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so, interesting to see he's getting work still. And hopefully he continues to um, get work and improve his skills mm -hmm. um, as a director. Mm -hmm. So, there is that. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Um, no, I was just going <laughs> to bring up the end there's one thing like i would do want to spoil though because like sure since no one's really watching this movie <laughs> um i mean yeah <laughs> yeah right nobody actually saw it i mean it just uh, we'll talk about it in a minute and that's not just alone this franchise is not alone in that but your spoiler since nobody saw it <laughs> um, it's just i just i found it so funny because it really surprised me and i absolutely love it i mean but, um, if we're being real here more people saw that than the flash I mean, no, I yeah. mean for real. Yeah, more I mean, people. I want more people. I want more people to watch this movie just because, like, I'm curious. Because I, I feel like the way they set it up, it got me excited. So okay. basically, like What's at the, the end, setup? you know, they save the world. Of course they do. Whatever. Um, but uh, the main guy, he's he in the beginning of the movie. He's looking for a job. At the end, he goes in for an interview, and you know, and then the guy goes in, and right away you can tell. You can tell right away that the guy who's like interviewing him is someone from Sector Seven. You remember in the Michael Bay movies, Sector Seven is like the secret government that always like hid um, all the Transformer stuff from people okay. and blah, blah blah blah. And so that's what I'm thinking the whole time. Like, oh, Sector Seven, he's getting hired from them. Cool. It's like it's connecting to the Michael Bay movies, right? Mm -hmm. And so and 
and he hires him. He's like, oh, we want to know everything that you know and all that. And with the, you can, you have certain skills that we can, you know, that we would like to work with and all that, blah, blah, blah. And he, then he opens like a secret door, like to a secret compound and all that. And he's just kind of like, holy shit, like, what the heck did I get myself into? And the card that the interviewer handed him, he looks at it, flips over, G.I. Joe. I, dude, it, I, okay, like I said, I'm not the biggest Transformers fan, and I'm definitely not the biggest G.I. Joe fan, but that got me pumped up. I was like, let's go. <laughs> hey, I'm there with you all the same. Not really into Transformers, not really into G.I. Joe, but are you telling me they're legitimately teasing a freaking crossover? Yeah, dude, I'm, dude I, I, don't, I wouldn't mind a Hasbro cinematic universe, honestly. Like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> hey, that's not an idea to dismiss at hand. I know. That's got some actual potential there. Like, I know... It sounded dumb as all hell, but part of me, all, years and years ago, part of me always wanted to see, remember one of the, Sony particularly had like this scandal where they had so many leaked emails. And one of the things that got out was they were seriously considering doing a crossover franchise of 22 Jump Street with Men in Black. Mm-hmm. And part of me always wanted to see how that would look like, yeah. how that would even look, how that would even work. Especially because Lord and Miller worked on those movies and like, yes. i feel like they could have done an amazing job with the men in black franchise you know yes. dude it could still happen today you know yeah. i i think for sure those actors would want to work together i i i even wouldn't mind chris hemsworth and um what was the other actor's name um Tessa thompson t- yeah her I, for, I forgot they even did a reboot i know <laughs> that was but in like, there oh my god but dude come on those two with the once in 21 with films. Channing Tatum Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill yeah with Lord and Bill directing that hey. is a that is a hit yeah oh, god it'll work <laughs> but yeah anyway that just I remember I saw that ending and I looked at my and I looked at my sister just going like what the fuck dude I'm so down like let's go <laughs> I mean you have to think that maybe that's the next big that's the next big gimmick because, you know, you, you listened to our conversation last week and Peter's main thing was, you know, right now everything's hitting an inflection point and there's only so much that nostalgia is hitting anymore, which is partly, you know, the reason for why so many of these franchises are just not connecting um, any longer. Mm-hmm. And so, especially how we also talking about at the same time how played out already the whole multiverse storylines are. Mm-hmm. And so, and with the multiverse storylines is you bring everybody back, but when you do it and it's all said and done, where do you go next? Yeah. And so maybe this could be the beginning of a new era. Mm-hmm. If they so choose to capitalize that and if they so choose to, you know, collaborate on it. Um, we're living kind of in a wackadoo time right now. Um, Warner Brothers is, is uh, well, it's being dismantled, but they're, you know, experimenting with a lot of different things, replacing writers with AI <laughs> among them. Also, 
putting HBO content on Netflix, licensing it out, selling off half of their music library for $500 million. I mean, they're they're looking to get cash wherever they can. Mm-hmm. And they seemingly have no qualms about what they get rid of themselves to do it, like a prostitute, basically. Um, I mean, that's what it is. They're just holding themselves out for whatever money they can get. And just so that, as many people speculate, just so David Zaslav can just sell off Warner Brothers into Universal. Because, yeah, that's going to be somehow worse, right? Mm-hmm. Just continuing and continuing to just go with merger after merger after merger, thousands of job losses after job losses. It just it, it's a such a depressing cycle that no one seems to be willing to stop mm-hmm. for any kind of reason. Um but that is an interesting premise. That is an interesting setup and I do wonder are they going to follow up with that? That I would like to see. Yeah. Honestly, mm-hmm. just for playing curiosity in and of itself. Yeah. Um, I mean, remember back in the early 2000s, late 90s, there would, there would be a lot of crossovers just in TV shows all the time. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if Hasbro, is Hasbro affiliated with the Power Rangers? I don't think so. Well, I, I don't. I don't even know. Paramount has Power Rangers, right? And who has the team in Tur- Turtles? Is it also Paramount. Yes. Well, hey, there's an idea. <laughs> TMNT and the Power Rangers in live action. Yeah, we could there's something. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to go into the crossover stuff, mm-hmm. if that's the next big thing, you know, some of these studios have a couple of franchises that have, I think, in the past. You know, crossed over back and forth. Mm-hmm. I, so, and I liked that Power Rangers movie. It was pretty fun. I never even saw it. Actually, it was fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I. I heard nobody say it was bad. Yeah, it was like, it. It was a movie. Yeah, it was a movie. The only time <laughs> the audience got like, like um, noisy, it was when um, you know they they got their fully powered suits and everything, and they're about to go, and they got into their uh, what is it? The Dinobots, or not the Dinobots, or their Megazords. Haha, ha, I got it. This one I know. Um, they got to the Megazords, and <laughs> fucking the Power Rangers uh, theme goes on. Just like randomly, you know, you just hear that, go, right. go, Power and you know, it just goes, oh, hey, look at that. And they, they stay quiet again. <laughs> it's just. It is interesting how that kind of like um, went nowhere, huh? Yeah, it kind of sucks. You'd think there would have been, there, there would have been something. To follow it up, and maybe the the, the response was so. Uh, it's been a while since I've looked at this. So I have to go back and see what the responses were. But they shouldn't. They they couldn't have been very kind if they didn't explore it any further. Mm-hmm. I just know that, and I I don't know if it was in the movie or not. You saw it. I didn't. But you know what was really, really kind of inherent with you know Power Rangers is, is the camp. You know, I think I, I saw on Twitter uh, yesterday one of the clips was. Um, you know, from one of the movies, the old 90 movies, from movies that were based off of the show. And it's like, yeah, that show's all camp. Mm-hmm. Like, there's about as much camp as there is in that as there is in, like, Batman, the, the what's it called? The, the Adam West series. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when you remove that, which I assume they did yeah. 
for the movie, what are you left with? Mm-hmm. Is that still Power Rangers? Um, I mean, I guess not. I would say the biggest fail uh, in the movie it was just mostly in the villain side. Like, they really... They went with, like, I guess, more realistic way of like, making the monsters look and all that. I don't know how you would call it. Um, but, yeah, I think they would have brought in more camp with the with the villain side and all that. It would have been a lot more fun, for sure. Because I didn't mind the costumes in the movie and all that. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I really like the characters. I like where they were all, what they were all going through and all that. Like, it just seemed perfectly fine. I think you could have just explored more if there were more of them more movies hmm. yeah interesting stuff for sure and uh, before we move off of it this will be a good you know a transition from one to the other you had mentioned about um how not so well the movie had been performing and i think you can say the exact same thing in fact you can say the exact same thing about a lot of the other ones that are um, performing similarly. What's interesting here is it's not all doom and gloom because there seems to be a dichotomy that has emerged. I feel like, and I think I what the numbers indicate is all of the movies right now that belong to major franchises that are not doing well happen to you know, be long running and also happen to have included very recent installments that did not, that were not received well from either the fan base or just from general audiences um, for them to come back to. For example, uh, you, you can say the same the, um, with the examples of the recent Fast and Furious movie. The recent Transformers movie and the recent Disney live action movie. It, it may not even be the movies themselves. Um, I don't think any of those films, by the way, were that particularly good to where they, you know, they had a conversation or where they added anything particularly new. But more, you know, beside that, they're new installments of franchises that historically in the last decade were easy money makers, but all of a sudden, now, they're not making that money anymore. In fact, in some of those instances, they're losing money. And I feel like it's pretty evident the reason for why that's happening is because the previous installments just weren't, they didn't do all that well. The previous Fast and Furious film was not received well, and I think that's kind of the reason for why this new one wasn't doing well, the previous Disney live action remakes are never thought of (laughs) except for when they're released. So that also brings into this particular situation. And of course, Transformers, it's been going on for a long time. People are tired. People are ready to move on. Mm -hmm. It's inherent with all of this. At the same time, what you are seeing successes in are franchises that had recent good installments franchises this year that have been doing well uh, as far as their new installments are concerned involve john wick chapter 4 creed 3 guardians 3 and spider verse 2 all of those belong to 
franchises in their most recent installment before this current one were received very well. And I do think that is a bit of an interest. And, and they're happening at the exact same time, by the way. So that is something very interesting to note of. Let me go ahead and read to you right here. Um, so for example, with, with Transformers, um, I know it's already been out for three weeks and it's second week it did horribly, dropping almost 70%, which is terrible <coughs> for any movie, particularly a blockbuster. It barely, I think, got to $20 million on its second weekend, which is, again, talk about just being bad all around. Um, at current estimations for what – and this is this is a tweet that I screen grabbed from like the 17th of June, so things may even look worse by you know these current estimations, but – Fast X, Transformers, Rise of the Beasts, and The Flash could all end up grossing lower than $150 million at the domestic box office. Now, again, there's two different things to note. If there is domestic and there is worldwide. Domestic is North American content, the North American continent, I should say. And then worldwide is, is that and everybody else. And just for North America... For all three of those movies, again, Fast and Furious, Transformers, and The Flash not being able to hit $150 million? That's a disaster. Mm -hmm. That's a fucking disaster because the budgets of these films are all at least $200 million 250 million or more and that's not even counting in the 200 300 million it takes to even market these movies so with that these three films again fast x transformers and the flash in adding in also the little mermaid which little mermaid has done well domestic but that's the only place of course the only place that does well is the fucking americans and everybody everybody else didn't care about this film so Little Mermaid, Fast X, The Flash, and Transformers are all likely, and this is stunning, they're all likely to lose somewhere between $100 million to $175 million each. <laughs> Those are four big tentpole movies. By the way, so... A Transformers movie, a Fast and Furious movie, a DC movie, and a Disney live action movie. With the exception of the DC movies, because they haven't, I'm not even sure ever, but not, well, actually, that's not true. One did. At least one installment in all of those franchises at one point in the last 10 years were able to hit a billion dollars worldwide. In fact, for some of those franchises, several installments were able to hit a billion dollars. Hmm. And now we're at a point they're losing money. Mm -hmm. These used to be the easiest ones to just greenlit. They come out. They're usually crap, but they still make so much money. Yeah. And maybe, maybe this is what happens when you make too much crap for so many years in a row. I mean, it's actually really... Who would have thunk it? It's really surprising with Fast X, at least. Because, like, that one, like, the fan base knows what you're in for. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, where are you? <laughs> you know? Um, with, um... 
Little Mermaid. Um, uh, but also, David, it's this is the tenth movie. I'm like, Jesus, man! Like, at some point, you gotta like take a bow and get the fuck out of here. Well, I thought they were ending. I thought this was like. But still, it's the it's still the tenth movie. Yeah, who like it's a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of years. Yeah, that's true. I, mean, I don't know. I, I I did want to try and see it, but I never got around to it. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's still in the movies, but I don't know. Um, it's already on digital on digital video on demand because it's universal. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, and then with this with Disney, I really don't know what happened. Honestly, <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it might have been pretty successful. I didn't, I didn't expect like a billion dollars with that one, but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess people are just tired of, <laughs> of the remix on that one, I guess, or, um, I think maybe just people weren't talking, saying good things about it from the very beginning, you know, that probably didn't help. And, um. Then what came out? I mean, what came out before that? It was I know it was Pinocchio before that one, and then. Well, there were three Disney Plus live action remakes: Peter Pan and Wendy, Pinocchio, Robert Zemeckis, and then also Mulan. Um, mm-hmm. And then before then, it, theatrically, well, Mulan I guess did play in some theaters, but not really. Before then, it would have been Lion King and Aladdin. Mm. Well, then, yeah, I think because of those, the Mulan, Pinocchio, and Peter Pan and Wendy, which I, I, I saw that one. Did we ever talk about it? Peter Pan and Wendy? I want to no. Oh. Maybe Alexis did. Probably. I don't remember. Okay. I didn't like I never saw it. I didn't like it. <laughs> it was just right from, the, right from the beginning, me and Ella were looking at each other like, oh, no, y'all just screwed up a whole bunch of stuff. Are you serious? <laughs> like... I'll just say this part. Um, in the beginning, you know, there's always in all the Peter Pan movies, there's always that scene where Wendy screws up and um, the dad just gets super pissed off, right? And like, you know, he's yelling at the kids, he drags off Nana, and and everything and all that. This one, it was just Wendy screws up, and the dad's just like, "Hey, knock it off," and then walks away. And that's the. I guess that's the reason why she's okay with leaving. And I'm really not kidding you. It's like, it's really is like, hey, knock it off. And then that's it. It wasn't like, yo, you kids need to grow up. You know, it's supposed to be freaking intense and all that. And it was just kind of like, oh, no, (laughs) you guys are just screwing this up. (laughs) It was just, I don't know. I hated it. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so with all that being said, yeah, those are, are flops, but among all the movies that we just mentioned, the biggest of them all, the most embarrassing of them all, it's funny how the name Barry isn't that word embarrassing, mm. um, <laughs> The Flash, man, what, what what to say about this? So, um, last week when we were talking about the movie, we maybe we spent all of two minutes, you know, thinking about where it could land. Um, I think we were we were thinking about it in the seventy to ninety million dollar range for an opening weekend. It came nowhere close to that. 
Um, this film's performance really is kind of um, – if you've been looking back at the long history of the DCEU, again, in retrospect, it's not much of a surprise, but it really does kind of highlight how how far the mighty have fallen. Um, the DC brand, maybe in some ways – has been irreparably damaged by the stunning low quality uh, of these films in the DCEU, which have been going on for 10 years now, from 2013 to 2023. Mm. And you can only ever get to bottom-of-the-barrel numbers like these – after a decade of just floundering, meandering, flopping, incompetence, just – and more incompetence after that. In three days, the Flash film that had been highly hyped, that had been highly publicized, that had been highly pushed by the studio executives as the second coming of Christ, that even involved several high-profile celebrities literally lending their endorsement to it, which also, by the way, after employing a strategy of fan screenings for weeks on end, after debuting it at CinemaCon, mind you, to show how much faith they had in the film. By the way, after already having made the decision to hire that film's director, Andy Muschietti, to direct Batman the Brave and the Bold for the upcoming gun uh, DC-verse, after all of that, after all of those, and after dumping so much money into not just marketing a film whose star can't really be promoting anything, which that in and of itself is a whole different investment. Mm. Just getting, just trying to rehabilitate him and getting him stable enough to make one appearance at the premiere, say one little speech, and then never to be heard from again. The idea to even release this after just the never ending crime spree um, and controversies that the star Ezra Miller was involved with. You think that at the end of the day, at the very least, oh, I didn't even mention that this also, <laughs> the trailers, which I would say were quite good, also heavily featured the return of Michael Keaton's Batman. I mean, hello, this movie had so much going for it. This movie had so much built around it and had so much investment in it. And honestly, because they were putting themselves to the ringer of even bothering to hold, you know, to prop up Ezra Miller up with whatever they had. You, at the very least, after all of that, would be forgiven to, I don't know, have some kind of expectation that you were in for something good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we'll get to the quality in a bit, but these numbers don't suggest that. And I mean, first of all, it got hit with a B cinema score. Uh-oh. That, for a blockbuster film, a B cinema score is like an F or a D. That's not very good. That means that the audience just like, 
was not connecting with the film. Just and cinema score is the most reliable indicator. Um, there are the most reliable exit polls that we have as people are walking away from the movie. Hmm. Then in three days, in three days only, it barely made half of what Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was able to do in three days back in February. A DC film with Michael Keaton's Batman coming back was able to do half of what the third Ant-Man movie did in three days. The Flash came in at $55.1 million. Which also hilariously enough broke a several week streak of films opening to at least $60 million and up. Mm. So there, there, it even has that going against it. Um, in three days, it made $55.1 million. Right now, it has been seven days. You know how much more it's made since those three days? It's only gone up in seven days to $72 million. In one week, in seven days, this film has only grossed $72 million at the domestic box office. Remember how a few minutes ago, I read a tweet that suggested that it would be a struggle, a big struggle at that, for a flash to come anywhere close to 150 million. Um, it's not getting there. Mm-hmm. It's in honestly, it may even be a struggle hitting a hundred million. I mean, it is unfathomable, mm-hmm. genuinely. How? How pathetic this performance is. To say it's a flop, to say it's a bomb, doesn't do it justice. Not anywhere near. Because it's made so little money that at one point this week, I think it was on Wednesday, it was overtaken as the number one movie that sold the most tickets that day by Across the Spider-Verse. It's made so little money... That and I believe I shared this to the chat just a few hours ago. And the uh, uh, Luis Fernando has been one of the, the reporters covering this mostly. Um, the Flash finished its first full week after grossing only two point eight million dollars on Thursday. It only made two million dollars yesterday. Mm. Um, it's only hit. 72, this is the exact number right now, $72.4 million in the U.S. after seven days. By the way, the original projection was that it would only take three days to make that, to hit that number. It took seven days to hit that number. Um, And somebody asked him, is it possible that The Flash is able to make $20 million in its second weekend? And the response was, I don't think so. I'm already expecting it to come under $17 million. Okay, that has to be a 70% plunge, right? Because if you start off your first week at 55.1 and then you drop to only make $17 million week two, and then making things worse, could even end 
in fourth place behind No Hard Feelings, what at this point won't be as shocking to me anymore, but would be unthinkable to me if someone had asked me a week ago if I could see that happening this weekend. You only, and by the way, it started off bad and is only getting worse. I feel like that what this suggests is, yeah, the movie is not connecting. The movie isn't great. And for the little people that went to go see it, there it is. And it's not getting that word of mouth. And honestly, if if you skip the film and you're seeing these results, you feel pretty good about yourself and not wasting your time. Mm. That's how you feel, honestly, when you see these kind of headlines come out. But more to the point, most people decided, nah, I'm good. You're, you're more than your DCEU universe is dead. It's been there for a long time, but like your DC franchise is like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's done. Yeah. It's done. It, what this suggests is literally nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Again, a multiversal film that had Michael Keaton's Batman and nobody gave a flying fuck. Which hilariously, um, there's, I mean, for the people who did see the film, and I, I even played a, and I played, I shared a clip with you by um, some of the people <laughs> who reviewed the film. And this made me laugh. I think this was on the Geek Buddies podcast. Um, and, and this response was hilarious to me because uh, I think a lot of people who saw the film, I think would feel the same way. I mean, I will say, we were just talking about this before we hopped on the live chat. Shannon yeah. and I saw it. So Shannon, Shannon and I both saw it once separately, but we saw it together on Friday night. Saw it Friday night in Los Angeles at the Grove. Yeah. Packed theater. Sold out. Totally packed. You could have heard a pin drop when that movie ended. Wow. And not that in a good not, way. <laughs> that is really? not great. That is not great. That is surprising, man. Wow. Yeah. I've it was... Been through- it was it was the audience version of a shrug and a ho-hum. And that's surprising to hear them say that it was a crowded theater. My theater was empty. Yeah, mine too. A little bit. And by the way, this was like, what, Thursday night previews? This is supposed to be the day where it should be packed. It wasn't. Um. So... Anywho, um, while I have it, I'll just play some more stuff here that I thought was interesting while you, David, prepare your thoughts for this movie. Across the Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse had Miles Morales being like, no, I don't have to let my loved ones die just because it's a rule of comic book tropes or whatever, like just because it's a meta narrative. I want to try and be a superheroic person and try to like... Like, you trying to tell me how to live my life, I'm going to do my own thing. That's Miles' whole storyline. The Flash ends with a bunch of older guys who made this movie and Michael Keaton and, you know, and the rules of the universe kind of telling young Barry Allen, like, you can't. You have to let your mom die. And Barry is like, yeah. And it's not great. But then my other biggest issue with the film is the sort of writing and characterization of the character Barry Allen himself. Barry is a frustrating character for me. He comes across as this youthful character. I think they may have been writing Barry to sort of be an example of maybe somebody who's on the autism spectrum, but I don't have a lot of personal knowledge or familiarity with that. 
aspect of human existence, but I felt as though it was like, but did the person writing this have that experience? Did the per And I also want to say, I love the, the writer, Christina Hodson, screenwriter. She wrote Bumblebee, which I think is fantastic. She wrote Birds of Prey, which I think is fantastic. Um, I don't know, we also know this, this, this movie has a troubled past in history of production where different writers are coming in, different directors, different, you know, so there's many, many, many cooks over many years in this kitchen. So I'm not going to pin the blame on one specific person. It's not the director. It's not the writer. It's not a producer. I think it's all of this. I think it's even them looking at some of the comic book source material. I'm not in love with the storyline Flashpoint mm. as well. With that, I know that's a controversial ah. thing. People love that comic. So I want to get this all out of the way right now so that you guys can fix this and make it okay. But I didn't, I didn't love the Barry Allen character. I thought he was a little bit too... Almost like Joey Tribbiani and Friends. Too dumb to be real. Uh -oh. And I'm like, you're too dumb. Dude, there's no way you are like a smart young professional with your job in like forensics, whatever, uh -huh. science. Uh -huh. But like you lack some of these specific skills. But again, I know if like, if, but they're trying to maybe do somebody who's on the spectrum and might not have specific social skills. And I'm like, okay, but that did not seem authentic to me. And it did not seem like I could, just couldn't buy Barry Allen when it was supposed to be a mid to late 20s professional. Then we meet the 18 year old Barry Allen or the, right? Uh -huh. like the Younger Barry, young Barry. And even we'll that was like, yeah. this is like, like young Sheldon. This is like levels of Shazam where I'm like, I don't believe that the writing for any of these kids is real. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh. It feels like adults writing young people, and I'm like, uh, and then from the big uh picture podcast. They weren't that good in the movie. I, this is what I said to Amanda as we walked out. I thought they were annoying. They, annoying. They weren't that good in the movie, and you don't do it right. It can be quite grating. Yeah. And I, I found the performance quite grating. And so it was very hard to just connect to the movie emotionally because when you're with Michael Keaton's Batman or when you're with Sasha Kaye's Supergirl, I actually just felt more interested in where those stories could or should have gone. And by the end of... Okay. Um, there's a lot of issues with the film, but I think this is a big one, right? Like if... Um, you can't connect with your character. Your movie doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And um, we didn't really get into that too much. I know Peter touched on it a little bit, but as I mentioned before we even started recording, we were pretty kind of like – we were so uninterested. Like I, I just want to reiterate, David. Um, maybe I can say it better now that I'm not so like clogged up my freaking nostrils, but like – I was basically waiting for the whole movie for Michael Keaton to show up. Yeah. Because I felt like, right? <laughs> I mean, for one. But, like, the reason why I was doing that was because I had some hope that when that would happen, things would, like, roar to life. Mm. <laughs> you know? Not not just that things would pick up, but that all of the, the stuff that was good that, I, that we've been hearing for months would come to fruition because of that um and the sad part about it is that i want to say like 20 minutes after he he finally came on and this was the sequence where they're flying to russia to break out sasha kaye the the supergirl i don't even remember that scene because i honest to god checked out mm. i i'm not kidding you um I think I, that was the point where it's was like, wow, I'm bummed that this is not getting better and I thought this might get better yeah. and it's not getting any better. And even though you could hear 
the the uh, Danny Elfman Batman theme blaring, and there's some cool looking stuff that's happening on screen. I'm sorry, but like, I don't remember what happened. I don't I don't have a visual memory of seeing the flashes break out Sasha Kaye because even though my eyeballs were like literally at the screen, I spaced out completely. Mm. Because I was in that moment just like, wow, I can't believe how dull this movie is. Like, yeah, I've seen worse movies. And I've seen films that have a lot more infuriating things. But that's why I was saying when I said in, in, the, in my review last week is it would – it would say it would be saying a lot if this film made me feel anything, much less anger, you know? Which it didn't. What it did make me feel was just bummed out completely and disappointed and just like also just kind of stunned too, because I legitimately wanted this film to be good. <laughs> like I legitimately wanted this film to do well. Like Long, I'm just, I'm tired. First of all, I'm just, I'm tired of comic book films that aren't good because most of them are just not good anymore. Mm-hmm. The fact that we had Across the Spider-Verse and Guardians 3 back to back is a miracle in and of itself. But that should not let us forget that more more, more often than not now, these movies are, are just not that good. But especially with DC, I'm just like, man, I'm tired of walking in to a DC movie and it not being very good. Mm -hmm. And then this is what happens. Um, Yeah. No, yeah. It was pretty disappointing. I mean, right from the beginning, I, yeah, I I was with you. Like I, I wanted this, I, at the very least, I wanted this movie to be fun. You know, I, I, yeah. I did find Ezra Miller to be funny in the Justice League movies. I thought maybe he could bring that here. And I mean, there were some moments where I laughed and all that. But uh, it just, but nothing could just hold up this movie, you know, just his performance alone wasn't um, good enough and all that. And it just, it all that shit CGI really was so distracting, especially when the two Ezra's show up and you're just like oh my god you really just i i would have rather oh uh the cg when there were two ezra's uh in the scene i would have legit taken like if you saw like a line in the middle of the screen where like the camera splits them up and all that i would have taken that more than the fucking cgi (laughs) you know so it was that bad okay um of i'll be honest of all the cgi that was on display um that to me seemed the least offensive. There was a lot of other moments that made me just like, wow, that's certainly a choice. And I can't believe it actually was that defense of it. Oh, it was intentionally bad. But what the fuck no. was that? But like, I, I maybe I don't want to see this movie again, but I, I, I guess I, I should look more carefully at how that was because it of all the things that were off-putting about it, that one stuck out the least to me. But it could be that I was just like blocking it out because the effect is one thing, but maybe I wasn't noticing the effect because I just couldn't believe how hard of a miss it was as far as the dynamic that those two were concerned. I mean, the thing is, 
the lead here isn't all that interesting here. The lead here isn't all that endearing. And part of what makes him hard to connect to is because you're not really sure how he's playing the character. You don't really know this character, first of all. You don't really know that much about him. He's been in several films, but you don't know that much about him. But you also just don't really get him. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like weird idiosyncrasies that he has in his mannerisms, in the way that he speaks. And you're not ever sure if he's playing this character as if he's supposed to be on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. It never is talked about. It's never addressed. And then all that does is draw more attention to it and it draws more confusion to it. If all you ever draw is confusion uh, and and just not really sure what to do with your lead character, then how are you going to like this movie? Especially when so much of this movie is just them. Mm-hmm. If you don't like this character, you're not going to like this movie, period. Yeah. Um, also, on about that whole um, CGI was meant to look this way and all that, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's bullshit right there. Um <laughs> What I kept thinking about in those scenes where the time travel was happening, I kept thinking of Doctor Strange, where that one had, like, trippy-ass, like, CGI scenes going on, but they looked far mm. better than... That looked good. Yeah, <laughs> that and looked that looked competent. great. <laughs> and so, dude, that looked coherent. Yeah. That whole... Like, I, 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 it was a choice of a design where, you know, where... Barry would initiate a sequence with him running fast and going back in time. And all around him, you'd see, like, I'm sorry, that looked ugly to me. Mm. All these, like, these faces, like, going around in a circle. I I, I guess it was some kind of DC Comics thing that they lifted from the source material. Mm. But it just, it looked ugly to me. Especially since, like, we spent a lot of time in there, too. Mm -hmm. Um, When he keeps initiating those, like, time travel sequences. Like, it, 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 no. It looks ugly. Mm-hmm. And then it just like it leads into the whole multiverse clashing together. And you got that whole, you know, cameo scene going on and everything. And like, look, nostalgia works on me. Okay. Like I, um, that scene in Mandalorian where Luke comes out and all that, like it, that worked for me. I, I don't like the scene because of what it did, but it works. And this one too. It worked for me. Sorry. Just a lot of... <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I was like, lot. oh, hey, like you got this and this. But like, <laughs> still though, that is f- fucking ugly. And I'm just, ta- I'm, not just ta- I'm not just talking about the CGI. Like the fact that you're using CGI to bring Nick Cage. The dead back to the life. De- the dead. The dead I, first also, of all, the dead. <laughs> but also like Nick Cage, it's just like... Why couldn't you just get him? Why couldn't you put that effort into getting him in? You know, and if he wasn't going to come in, don't do it at all. And there's other Superman here going on. Greg Gustin, I know for sure he would have been on this. Okay, so why couldn't he come out? Just- you know, it would have been interesting if 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 you literally had to have two Barry Allens lead the film. Why not have had Grant Gustin co-lead the movie? Wouldn't that have been an interesting dynamic, Grant Gustin and Ezra Miller? It would have been interesting, but Grant Gustin would have stolen the show. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was a better Flash. I, I did see a little bit of the show. I mean, I, I remember I think I saw the second season of The Flash, uh, which I think were among the better of the seasons of The Flash. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching that show and uh, Grant Gustin was a good Barry Allen. Mm-hmm. I liked that character. At least I could say I liked him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're right, though. He would have stolen the show. Yeah, he would have stolen the show. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just, it's gross that we just use but the CGI. Can you believe, 
can you believe that of all the cameos, Grant Gilston wasn't one of them? I know. Especially because Ezra Miller came out in CW. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah I saw that. So it's so just... you, you think that they would like reciprocate that mm-hmm. uh, on the theatrical level anyway. Yeah. I mean, he definitely had more business being in here than anything else. I mean, I mean, we're living in a time where, of all things, spectacular Spider-Man gets called out and gets a moment to shine in across the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Even just a brief moment, but it, it's something, you know, to the fans and everything. Um, Especially, though, that the show ended, like, I think, right before the movie came out. And it would have been, yes. actually would have been pretty cool if he just came out in the movie. It's like, hey, we get one more little, I mean, yeah. I gotta be honest, I, I, I was watching the last season of The Flash. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really, really bad. It, it is a ninth season of a superhero show. Yeah. I, I doubt that it would be any good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, On but, principle uh, alone, you know. Still, though, I think it would have been cool that like his last, fun, like, last uh, efforts as a Flash would have been in this movie, even even though this movie is also bad, but like, still. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, there were moments where it was okay, but for the most part, Barry and Barry together is just grating. Like you, you just, you, you can't escape it, especially with that, whatever that laugh was. When I heard it once, I was like, I closed my eyes and I'm like, oh no, they're going to do this the whole time, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And they did. Um... It's also just like there's a couple of things here that I think are just so ill conceived. And I think it really misunderstands. Well, first of all, this film misunderstands a lot of things. But it also, from a deep standpoint, everybody here really just doesn't seem to register on any level that the Zack Snyder characters have never been popular. Mm-hmm. They're very niche. Niche is not a same thing for popular. It means a small segment of people really passionately like the Snyder stuff, but the Snyder stuff has been a miserable failure. The Snyder characters have been what have been, you know, have been singularly responsible for the disastrous ruin that the universe and the and the brand finds itself in. You know, and I think Double Toast had pointed this out. Uh, Martin and Corey, I think they pointed this out. If there was ever going to be like a final curtain call for Henry Cavill's Superman, wouldn't this have been it? Mm-hmm. Why would you? Waste anybody's time giving the audience an alternate version to a character that is not popular. I'm sorry to say, and I can't believe this this is going to be a controversial thing to say because it's pretty, pretty evident. But Henry Cavill's like portrayal as Superman. First of all, the movies aren't great; they're not even good. But second of all. His portrayal of Superman has always just been like, Zack Snyder fucked that characterization. And so mm-hmm. he has that stink with him. So if you don't care about that version of Superman, why would you care about a different version of Superman? 
uh, w- w- and then and, then, and it being Supergirl. It, it's like, especially when she has nothing to do in this movie. Yeah. She's just there, and then she dies. So for how little that she's in here, why not have just used the opportunity? To give the Henry Cavill people, appease them a little bit to shut the fuck up and give them a final hurrah for them, you know? Mm -hmm. But, especially since, like, other Superman are in this movie, but not not this Superman. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, what what are these people thinking? So, that, that, but also, what I was going for is, why would you build the climax of this film around the events of Man of Steel? When Man of Steel is not a popular movie. That's like if um if No Way Home, which there are a lot of similarities between this and No Way Home, and No Way Home is a much better movie. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't really like No Way Home all that much, it is a much better film than this. Yeah. Um that's like if No Way Home had decided to center Let's say No Way Home ended up going into a multiverse and it centered its third act around the climax of the Incredible Hulk. Mm. No one remembers that. No yeah. one cares about that. It, it it came and it went and that was that. So why would you choose to bring back of all things General Zod? <laughs> why would you choose to put a Supergirl in here? Like do you, like – there were many other options, certainly more popular. You could have given Gal Gadot a final run as Wonder Woman. You could have brought back Momoa. Like there are other more interesting options than a Supergirl or a General Zod. It just kind of like – and then you also decide – the you bring back Michael Keaton's Batman and the thing that's most offensive about that is – you bring back the actor that played a character, but you just – you leave behind the flavor. You leave behind the style that was the Burton verse. It would have been nice if um, – what I thought what I thought they were going to do originally was, oh, uh, Ezra Miller ends up in the Tim Burton multiverse. Mm-hmm. And it would like look and feel and sound like that, but it just it, – it wasn't. It was just – his same old reality, but it just happened to include Michael Keaton's Batman, yeah. but with none of the Tim Burtonisms involved. And Michael Keaton is great. Mm-hmm. I feel like even the action scenes that he does, I'm like, that's the best part of this movie, honestly. Yeah, for sure. That, that easily the best part, maybe the only reason to see this is for that. But even with all of that, man, I just I couldn't be bothered to care. I couldn't be bothered even like even there's some choices they make where they unceremoniously just kill off Michael Keaton and Sasha Kai and that I guess that's that <laughs> right yeah. and, and and then I guess the solution was oh we can't win mm-hmm. okay and it sucks when like you look at the comic book and there's just like so many things that just were better for that (laughs) from that Mm -hmm. and you just kind of like and i mean i don't need like a one-to-one exactly like the comics but like you know the reason why um uh flash like fixes everything it's because literally the world is like about to get destroyed in that moment where he's about to go back Uh you know 
Whereas with this one, it's just kind of like, oh, they're dying. No. And it's just kind of like, but like you can tell though that like uh, just a couple of little fixes and him more involved can actually like save the world. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, it just, I didn't, it didn't, I, I didn't feel convinced that like um, he had no choice or like he didn't, he was running out of options here. Like there was just it's always going to end up being the same it's like no no no, no. you you got options come on seriously <laughs> mm-hmm. whereas in the comics like no he was like there's no way he could have been everywhere all at once and a whole bunch of people were about to die and just and then everyone was about to die and so like he had to fucking go back in time <laughs> uh and so yeah it's just i mean that's just the one thing that kind of sucks about it and all that I mean, I just feel like there are so many other more interesting, even the cameos themselves felt very, I mean, man, there's a lot of things you can say about those cameos. I mean, there's a lot of words you can use for sure, but I guess to me, more than anything, they just were so, they were so useless. Mm-hmm. They were so pointless. Um, the, the, the sequence where they come out of nowhere and um the whole movie again they keep doing this particularly in these films the dc movies but the whole movie just fucking stops mm-hmm. to show like these different versions of these characters and for what what do they do they just stand and watch yeah well you said you liked it you you said it made you feel something Help me understand what it made you feel watching them. I mean, you, but you also said that they were ugly, right? No, yeah, yeah. I just like I found it ugly. It was, it's gross that they use CGI to like make, like that was the effort that they tried to put in into, into these cameos and all that. Like I said, like why bother using CGI on a Nicolas Cage cameo instead of getting him instead of making the effort of getting him putting on that costume and like shooting something like i i, I like I, I really wouldn't have minded if he was just like standing there and all that but still and just kind of like them using cgi just makes it look lazy in um what they were trying to do and i mean it's just like you know yeah it worked for me just because but like i'm just i'm just, just that easily entertained and all that's really it but like i could still see through like what they were trying to do and just it's and it's gross really mm-hmm. um and i can't i just i can't really say why it got me uh, why it made me feel anything but like but well it just worked on yeah you, it just worked on you on me <laughs> dear god um i was just looking at some of the numbers here and it looks like um the flash might have a hard time even matching the first shazam movie Hmm. I think from a a world oh no no not a worldwide for a, a domestic gross oh. I, I mean, look this this movie it was what it was there's a lot of puzzling decisions like even the choice to end it with oh I guess I mean I guess it was kind of funny and weird <laughs> but George Clooney <laughs> that of was all funny. people I love I that. mean <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I'll say this that caught me by surprise yeah. I was like what the fuck I was I was sh- I, I was so sure there were like 
they're going to bring Keaton back. Mm-hmm. And I think at one point they were. There are scenes that they shot and Keaton was supposed to be the new Batman. But then they they canned Batgirl and they changed everything around. And so mm-hmm. they're like, I don't know. Just bring in Clooney. Yeah. It doesn't matter anyway. This is not going to make – the continuity is done. Yeah. It's over. It's dead. We're not – I mean – I, I don't know. I mean, I guess the Peacemaker characters are going to transition in some way. But I, I, to me, the Peacemaker and Suicide Squad characters, I've never really connected that to the DCEU. For one, because it's good. But for two, it just it, it's just so far removed. Yes, Aquaman and The Flash do make cameos there, like very briefly on Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they mentioned the Justice League, but it's like... To me, it's not necessarily the same thing. I can remove it, but other people are are not. I guess to me, one of the things that I'm really upset with this whole ordeal is I hate it when people make some good points about James Gunn maybe needing to be a a little bit more restrained. If I was James Gunn for for just a, a starter... I would have insisted to David Zaslav, look, there's a whole year of movies coming out ahead that are not going to be doing very well. Why are you going to announce a new DC studio head when that DC studio head is going to be obviously unfairly blamed for the performance of those films, even though they had he had nothing to do with it? I would have insisted to Zaslav, you know what? If you want to announce a new DC head, Go ahead and announce somebody you're going to fire anyway. And I think the original plan was to keep Walter Hamada around so they can fire him for when these films bombed. This, like, I mean, you got to be thinking about this. Like, okay, did the people at Warner Brothers, were they doing all this hyping because they knew? Or are they just genuinely surprised how bad it is? And I have to think maybe it's a mixture of both, but maybe it's more, no, on, on some level they believed in this because look how much money they still kept putting into it mm-hmm. to promote it and everything. And then for it to end up this way, it's it's just a horrible disaster. Mm-hmm. But what I more mean is, okay, things like, did, did Gunn really have to put himself out there? I know. And, and say that this film was good and that he loved it? Like- mm-hmm. That's that that doesn't, and then also to hire the guy that directed this Andy Muschietti to do the Batman movie. That's a wait. That's not good. Well, I mean, for Gunn, like I, th- I don't think he really had a choice. He had to promote this movie, you know that. Just that's true. Like, he just had to have a choice. But like, there's a difference though in saying like, yeah, go watch this movie. You know, you you'll have a fun time, versus this is the greatest movie superhero movie in cinema. You know, it's just like calm the fuck yeah. down, my guy. Like, yeah, seriously. Yeah, and then with uh, the director, did he also write the movie or no? Well, no, Andy Muschietti did not write this movie. Okay, and even the even even the woman who is credited, I believe Hector Navarro. I, I played the clip earlier a few minutes ago. He had mentioned the name the the, the writer who wrote Birds of Prey and Transformers, uh, the Bumblebee movie. Um, Grace Randolph sources have come out and said that no, she didn't write this movie. A lot of people wrote this movie okay. over fucking a period of 10 years. It just so happens that she's the only one credited mm-hmm. officially. But a lot of writers came in here yeah. and went away. Um, okay, then I, I'm i not – I'm okay with them directing the Batman movie because um, all the Batman scenes uh, with 
Keen and with Affleck. I thought they were really cool. Mm-hmm. The, act, the action scenes, at least. I thought they looked really I cool. I think you, you can make a reasonable argument that because the Flash was so fucked, Andy Muschietti is the least of the problems. Yeah. But he himself has made comments. And you could also say that maybe he doesn't have much of a choice because of how Zaslav is. But he's also made some comments that have been pretty buffoonish. Like the whole thing of defending the look of the VFX. Oh, it's supposed to be ugly. Uh, so, so there, again, it, it's not inspiring confidence here. Mm-hmm. Um, when they go out and they put themselves out there like that, and so I'm not saying that um, it's going to be bad, but it just it, it dampens a little bit of the excitement because he is attached to this movie, and this movie isn't doing very well. But also, Gunn didn't have to put himself out there like yeah. that. He could have promoted it like simple. He could, didn't have to go out and say it was one of the best superhero films of all time. And also, he didn't have to... I don't even know why at one point he said that Blue Beetle is supposed to be in the continuity of his universe. Going, like, I'm sorry. Nobody cares about Blue Beetle. But you know what? I could have told you the day they greenlit a Blue Beetle movie. That's been part of the problem with the, with the Hamada. Walter Hamada, I think, had some interesting ideas for what he wanted for the DCEU. It's just that the execution was just very, um, it was just the wrong approach. Like part of what I always struggled with the DCEU was why were they greenlighting films to characters, secondary tertiary characters when they can't even get their main characters, right? Like when you have, they, Zack Snyder so fucked over Batman and Superman that, they had to go green light movies like Birds of Prey or Shazam or Blue Beetle. And some of those worked out well, but like, who cares about a Blue Beetle movie? Mm-hmm. And it's coming out in August, by the way. How bad is that going to do? I mean, they're. How bad is that? I mean, because look, this is. um, Somebody said it. Shazam 2019. That was the last time a DCEU film was profitable. Mm. All of the ones that have come out since, The Suicide Squad, um, Black Adam, Shazam Fury of the Gods, I think there's one in them that I'm missing, and then now The Flash, they're just losing money. Mm-hmm. They're literally losing money on every single DCEU film. You have to wonder how much longer can it go on like this? I mean, and you have to also wonder how bad. Is this performance of the Flash? How? What does this mean for how Blue Beetle and Aquaman are going to do? I don't think Blue Beetle is going to do well at all. Mm-hmm. I think I think Aquaman has a better chance because a lot of people really enjoyed the first Aquaman mm-hmm. and people and Momo- Momoa. It, yeah, mm-hmm. he's a draw. Yeah. So I think I think Momoa is a bigger star than Ezra Miller for sure. So. There has to be something they're going for. And also James Wan came back to direct that movie. So I would not dismiss Aquaman Mm -hmm. too. But at the same time, I do want to say, I don't think, I think it plays in a lot into the online conversation that, you know, these films are not going to matter as much with, with the James Gunn verse. But at the same time, People should not be using that as the reason for why these films are not doing well. Maybe it's contributing to it, but the reason these films are not doing well is because they've never been doing well. Mm-hmm. They, All of this can be traced back 
to how bad of a movie BVS is. Yeah. All of this goes back to that. And you can make the argument that there were so many, they had so many um, opportunities in years past to just gut everything and start all over again. I, I for one think the opportunity to do that was back in 2017 when their Justice League, the, the Joss Whedon Justice League movie came out, it only made $95 million in its opening weekend. And it lost, it, it got its ass kicked by the third Thor movie. A Justice League movie, which came out the same month, got its ass kicked by the third Thor movie. That should have been the point of no return. Yeah. That that should have been the point where, you, you know what? Um... Just, just, just even if you want to bring Gal Gadot, whatever, just but dump the rest. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> I remember saying, like just keep Gal Gadot, bring in Bat, Batgirl, and I can remember some other female superhero, and just do an all female superhero or something like that. That's all. That's literally what I said. And just like hopefully they can fix something, but they never did anything like that, and just it all went to shit after that. <laughs> um. And yeah, and honestly, it, what didn't help though, those fucking Snyder fans, where they were just like, <laughs> they're the worst. They man. just kept pining over um, Snyder's cut, like over and over, and just, I feel like it. All oh, the movies just didn't stand a chance after that, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and Peter also makes good points. Is like, well. There is Wonder Woman, but there also was Aquaman because uh, the the year after Justice League, which was in 2018, like literally a year after that same fall winter, or, or so Justice League was 2017. The next year was 2018, and in that winter, Aquaman came out and it made a billion dollars. So when that happens, they're like, "Well, what what's going on here?" Like, but that also was strange, right? Like how, and also funny. Mm-hmm. The all the only. The only DCEU movie to make a billion dollars is Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Well, the I, I mean, I wouldn't say it was like the biggest reason, but just the biggest standout, I guess you could say, of Aquaman is that it was really honing in on its comics, like accuracy yeah. and all that you know because uh-huh. because peter mentioned this is that he found it hilarious when like when the trailer came out and you see momoa in the orange shirt yeah. and like green gloves and everything and he made like it was i laughed i literally laughed out loud when he said this but like he just he found it hilarious that snyder's aquaman was all like he's shirtless you see his tats and everything and just kind of like looks all menacing and everything but then james wong comes out and it's just like comic book accurate orange flashy suit and all that it's just <laughs> i mean you could just tell the difference in creativity yeah. but it's like again um so many mistakes were made so many mistakes like I, you know what i do mourn though is somewhere in there there existed the opportunity to have at least one Ben Affleck directed Batman movie. Mm-hmm. That's something I still wish. I mean, even though I mean, it ended up working out many years later with Matt Reeves. That's I because to me, that Matt Reeves Batman film is the best Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even think it comes close. Yeah. Um, as far as Batman is concerned, um, 
but jeez, man. It's so like it's been ten years of this. Ten years of this at this point. And it's like, when are they gonna get it together? I, I do feel bad for Gunn that he has to like take the punches mm-hmm. for projects that he had no involvement in. Yeah. I do think it's unfair that people are already calling for him to be re- replaced when he hasn't even done anything. Yeah. He hasn't even made anything yet. Like you can't judge anything until Superman Legacy comes back mm-hmm. com- comes out in July 2025. And I feel like everybody is at the same mind like maybe maybe James legitimately thought that Flash was good. Hey, there's a difference. <laughs> Everybody has a different taste in movies, right? Maybe he actually drank the Kool-Aid there. But that should not make us forget what a terrific filmmaker he is. Mm-hmm. Like Bob Chipman said, I saw a video before we even came on this on this podcast. Guardians 3 is fucking great. That alone should get you excited for Superman Legacy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what more needed to be said after that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, did Alexis have any thoughts? I know you saw you didn't you see it with your dad and with Alexis? Yeah. Um did they have anything to say <laughs> about the movie? I think they had the same thoughts as me. Just, you know, there were some funny parts. It happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that people were sharing their like ranked lists. I don't know, like to me there's not much to rank. I would say the only ones I care about, number one, Peacemaker, number two, The Suicide Squad, number three, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, number four, Shazam, number five, Aquaman, the rest, I don't give a shit. Yeah. (laughs) Not that the rest are shit, the rest, I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. But a a good number of them are shit. (laughs) Like, I still think, like, dude, you still can't... (laughs) I feel like what we just talked about how um, Guardians 3 and Across the Spider-Verse has to be a historic, like, back-to-back, like, all-time of how great it is. I think it's it's the exact inverse of how awful it was to have BVS and Suicide Squad come out back-to-back. Because <laughs> that was, I mean, do you remember when those came <laughs> BVS and Suicide Squad back to back in the same year. Mm. Mm. Nah, <laughs> not really. Though, th- no, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, they're they're pretty forgettable movies. Yeah, uh, but they're still, I think, to me, some of the worst ones made. Yeah. So, pardon, largely, for why we're in this mess in the first place. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. And by the way, all of this should not distract from all the problems happening at Marvel Studios. There's a big show happening on Disney Plus, and no one's talking about it. I was literally trying to remember. We had one more topic. I can't remember what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I can't imagine it's going to take up any time at all. David, please. I'm curious to hear... What, if anything, you have to say about Secret Invasion? Um, <laughs> I mean, there's not really much to say. Is um, 
they just set up some things. I guess they're kind of interesting. I'll keep watching. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I just, I don't know how to feel about it really, honestly. Just like there's some scenes that feel like they don't blend well. Like one scene to the next just kind of feels off. Keep in mind, of course, that this show was um, completely reshot. That's probably it. <laughs> I mean, it was rewritten and reshot. Don't forget that the, originally they filmed this from August 2021 to December 2021. We're now in 2023. So all last year, they hired new writers. They wrote the show over again and they shot the show over again. So that probably is what's contributing to the experience that is Secret Invasion. Maybe. It's just it's 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 so abysmal and hilarious and pathetic all at once that Kevin Feige legitimately thought this is what the comic book storyline Secret Invasion is owed. Mm-hmm. You basically take an Avengers level storyline and you you diminish it to this. Yeah. And I'm already not liking like the reason why some scrolls are evil um based oh great because they also fucked that up too. yeah thanks to captain marvel mm-hmm. i mean i didn't mind like if like some, the switcher yeah I, I didn't i wouldn't have minded that i just don't like the reason and it's because um in the 30 years uh that they've been with uh nick fury and captain marvel they still never found them a planet to live on peacefully that's that's shit yeah wait wait let's back that up that is awful the captain marvel movie took place in 1995 and the continuity of this mcu they're in 2025 what's that like 30 years after yeah they couldn't find another planet even when captain marvel the only time she ever shows up is there are a lot of planets out there and they don't have you guys what do you mean they never found a planet for them in a, in the span of three decades, mm-hmm. that that oh, come on, you see that the longer the MCU exists, the more kinds of these really pathetic excuses for reasonings get thrown at yeah. us. Really, dude? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I don't buy that. Yeah, I don't buy it either. Like, I can believe maybe ten. 15 years that it can take and that you can add some reasons to it maybe they thought you know there you know there's just a lot of uninhabitable planets they're the uh, habitable ones they wouldn't take them in because they knew they were like because of like you know of the Cree uh story that they made up for them like some people still believe it so some people hate scrolls and all that some people just don't trust scrolls because they can transform into other beings and all that like you can add reasons to it but i just don't believe that it'll that in 30 years you can't find a planet you know and so yeah i just i i didn't like that at all and so yeah someone was pissed off especially since carol danvers was supposed to singularly help them with that frontier and then at some point what she just fucked off and abandoned them I they don't explain what exactly happened. It's just sort of like <laughs> some of them just got mad, they defected, and now they want planet Earth because that's just the only place where they can live, you know. Um, and then they're just they're trying. 
I, I don't mind what they're doing with Nick Fury. They're trying to say that he's uh that he's old, washed up and all that. And so we'll see where that goes. I don't know. Um and but I mean the actors they work really well together. <laughs> That's one really cool thing. Like I really like, you know, whenever one person shows up, like someone new shows up. Um they work really well together. And then uh, uh-huh. can I tell you what happened in the end of the episode? Uh Maria Hill dies. Yeah. <laughs> so and I heard I heard that's like actually her. Um yeah, I saw it and like on some level I care, but on another level I kinda don't yeah. because like you never did anything with her and all you do in, in in the show where you could develop her, you choose to kill her off at the end of the first episode just for pure shock value. Mm-hmm. You know, it's things like this that just make me really glad Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. exists. As a different side note in that those characters were kind of left untethered to to any of this. Because I have so I have such little like tr- trust in the brain trust at Marvel that I don't know what they would do with them. Even though Quake is supposed to come back, no one knows. In fact, it may be even... No one knows if it, if it's this show, but I did check recently, and even though Chloe Bennett did deny again um, that she she was never contacted, the sources keep saying no, she's back. <laughs> so I mean, but they never said secret. Some did, but a lot of them never didn't indicate it was this show. I don't know how she would fit into the show, honestly, unless it was a random cameo. But a character who, if you just ignore the long divide there had been for many years between Marvel TV and Marvel Studios, a character that honestly could fit very well with the show if they cared enough to do so would be Coulson. Mm -hmm. The Coulson character, because of his relationship to Fury, Mm -hmm. um, that would be interesting to see how he would play here. But maybe in retrospect, it's a blessing that because all they would do is what kill him off. <laughs> if that's what they would do here, mm. um, yeah. Were, were you happy about the Maria Hill kill off, or it was just cheap and chalk? Um, I wouldn't say I was happy, but I was kind of like, oh, I see why you did it. Because <laughs> like, yeah, it was for shock value. Because before it was just kind of like, oh, scrolls can be anyone, you know. You just kind of like, you just. You know the character, main character is gonna be looking over their shoulder. You know who's gonna be, but then the fact that the scroll transformed himself into Nick Fury and was like, "Hey, hey, I'm over here," and then shoots her. I'm like, "Oh, okay, yeah, they're willing to like transform into like our main characters and like just trick anyone at any moment." And I'm like, "Okay, mm-hmm. there was a purpose to it, other than just shock value. Like, no, there's there's a little bit more to it." So. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know, this is not what Secret Invasion really is. Mm -hmm. Especially since, like, part of the appeal of the comic was to, like, you're playing with big major characters Mm -hmm. here. But maybe they just, they decided they have no interest in doing that to any other major characters. And so they're going to use minor characters to use this storyline with, which, okay. Um... Yeah. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet, but I do know that that that, that little, I guess, spoiler. Mm. 
Um, I think just wait till the second episode comes out because that's how that's how many episodes everyone yeah, else got. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It's like, well, it probably would feel incomplete. I also have a suspicion it's not going to be terribly engaging. So it's just not something that maybe I would want to dedicate a week to week watch to, mm-hmm. you know. Um. So yeah. Not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not great at all. Yeah. Anywho, anything else before we go? Um, no, I think that's it. All right. Well, thank you, David, for being here. I always appreciate your presence and what you contribute to the show. And I want to also thank everyone who was listening at home. Quick reminder, you can catch your podcasts anywhere you listen to podcasts every single Sunday. Until next time, stay under our spotlight for more content on movies and more, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.